0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Story Podcast. I am Harris III. I am here with Sammy Harvey. You didn't jump in that time and be like, Sammy Harvey.
1: I know. I never know. It, it kind of <laughs> goes. Either way. Sometimes those, you like leave a space for me to say I my know. name. For those but of you it's out there me on my toes.
0: thinking that we're like epic storytellers who sit down and script out this entire show, <laughs> you are wrong. This is us <laughs> sitting down laughing having a good time figuring it out as we go and seeing how the story reveals itself
1: unfolds
0: unfolds see you're the writer that's why you're better at this than i am
1: i don't know i don't know you're a per, you're a natural performer though yeah, I so just I you to like find hand. the words quickly
0: if you want to make a coin disappear with my hands i can do that <laughs> i'm good with my hands but i'm not good with my words sammy i don't know you're um, pretty good you're an english major right
1: I am. I am an English major. I graduated with a degree in English writing.
0: English writing, I which did. says you're better at words than I am. Guess what kind of degree I graduated with? <laughs>
1: what kind of? Well, yeah. What did you? I graduate didn't with? get one. Oh, that's right. But you <laughs> went to school for a while, though, yeah.
0: I tried. I dropped out of high school because my principal was like, "Yeah, he's missing way too many classes <laughs> doing this whole touring <laughs> thing that he's doing. You should probably." use a homeschool program and get them a diploma at some point. But we recommend this as an educational option. And my parents were like, okay, that's a good idea. So they pulled me out of public school. I went on the road full time. And then the, literally the exact same thing happened again with college. Like everyone around me was like, you got to go to college, young man. So I tried to go to college. And one of my professors sat me down and said, you're missing a lot of classes doing this whole touring thing. And then he like, he pulled me in. And he's like, be honest with me. How much money are you making? And I was like, what? And he's like, I'm a business professor. You're here as, as a business major. Just shoot straight with me. How much money are you making traveling around doing shows? And I told him. He's like, Get out of here. Just quit. <laughs> Go on the road full time. You're not going to learn. So he, his point was, it was a small liberal arts school, and his point was basically that uh, everything that everything that we're going to teach you in this very basic business program is stuff that I'd actually already been doing for like four or five years sure. running my own business. Yeah. So that's not to say there wasn't any value, uh, in my college education or that I wasn't going to learn It'd anything,
1: been Fulfilled, like by your all of it, but
0: enough of it where I think he was like, you should just go, you should just go do what you do. It's awesome. We fully support you. It, I do think when I left his office, I think he was like, don't tell anybody that I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one that told you to quit school.
1: You heard it here, folks. But I think he
0: told me to quit school <laughs> and his name was, uh, no, I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> Go to oh school, gosh. kids. It's working out well for Sammy. She got a college degree, and it's paying off really well. She's really good with words, especially English words, because those are the kind that she majored in.
1: Yes, that is true. I don't know how good I am with all language words, but English words specifically, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've actually never thought about that. So, like, in other – do they have la- – I mean, is it still could, a language major? So, like, in Spain, do they – you can major in spanish sure and you can, you can
1: you can major in spanish here too
0: and it's called spanish writing or just spanish
1: i've not heard of that so you're focused just, on writing I'm not necessarily on like writing. the language yeah yeah i had an option to major this is getting really specific i had an option to major in literature so reading or writing i chose writing
0: i could never major in reading I'm a horrible reader. I could. I love reading. I love reading too. It just takes me like six years to finish a book, (laughs) which is why I have like 60 books going at a time. Oh, Um, I do too. I I think it's because I'm ADD. And so like I read a few paragraphs and then I'm like, I have this brilliant idea. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I forgot what I just... And then like your eyes keep... You're like seeing the words and you're saying the words in your mind, but they're not registering at all because you're still brainstorming about the idea that you got two paragraphs ago. So then I have to go back and read it over again. That's why it takes me so long to finish a book. But I do finish a lot of books despite that slight challenge (laughs) of reading. See, we're just proving our point. (laughs) We started this episode by saying how unscripted this podcast is. Here we are off on a rabbit trail. Let's talk about... Something far more important are guests. That's why people listen to these things, I think.
1: I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <So>, yeah. <laughs> because
0: they have amazing things to say. And our guest for this week, Jason Jaggard, had some pretty amazing things to say.
1: He did. Yes. I loved this interview. I mean...
0: You cheated. I sent you the interview. Yeah, you, you did. You weren't there, but I sent it I to you. I so wasn't there.
1: Could, to be clear, I wasn't there. I'm not... I didn't help interview, but Harris sent me the interview file, and I listened to it earlier today. And Jason was a speaker at Story Gathering this past year, and I I think hit one. His talk got voted as one of the like most popular. Yeah. Or most well liked.
0: Yeah, on the talks, survey, right? Yeah, the post conference we sent out a survey asking for uh, who who are your top three speakers, and they could only pick three. And of course, everyone chose a different three for the most part. But sure. he kind of ranked all the speakers for us and said, "Here's people, the number basically put them on order." And yeah, it was very, very, very close to the top.
1: That's really cool.
0: So, and I don't, th- I don't know that many people came to story, but they all came going, oh, Casey Neistat speaking. Sure. Or uh, like these people, all these people that they're like in their Cute minds are names. celebrities. Yeah. And obviously all those big name speakers got really high reviews. A lot of people said that was their favorite speaker. But I love when like the surprise friend of mine, and I'm like, you guys are going to love them. And they're like, we don't know who he is yet, but we're excited to meet him. And I'm like, you're going to love him. Just wait and totally. then it happens. They yeah.
1: love him. Jason is full of wisdom, and um, I, I'm i really excited to talk about this interview, but I'm going to hold all my comments till the end. I know. Um, I
0: really want to introduce it as this is uh, Jason Jagger interviewing Harris the third, <laughs> because sometimes it felt like that, because yes. he, that's the way he is. Because he's, he's great at
1: asking questions.
0: Yes, and before you know it, he's like, you know, mental ninja-ing you mm-hmm. and ninja-ing, is that? A, I just use that as a verb.
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: I'm confirming over and over again that I'm horrible at <laughs> words in <the> English language.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand you, but you understood what I meant, and that's the point of language. Uh, so yeah. he
0: he is a what do you call those people? Would that be like a verb verbal ninja? What's the correct way to say that?
1: Oh, I don't, I don't know that part.
0: Somehow you're like I'm. I'm here to extract wisdom from you, and he like finds a very natural way to make the conversation about you that's the kind of yes. person he is. He's just yes. so good at I that understand sort of thing. what you're saying. Yeah. So multiple times throughout this interview, if I remember correctly, I have to pause and be like, it's happening again. This is about <laughs> this is about you, you turn Jason. The yes, let's turn the table back. turn the table back to Jason. So you guys are gonna love this one so much wisdom. Uh, I was in LA uh, and swung by not long after story to interview Jason Jaggard. Enjoy Ooh. We did it. We did it. It's story a, 2016. Yeah. You rocked it on stage. Oh,
2: well, I think um, you.
0: I've already told you this. I should have just made this a surprise. But the surveys are already in,
2: yeah.
0: um, and you are one of the highest-rated speakers of uh, story this year. What? Yes, that's true. That's
2: that's some, that's something. <laughs> There's some there are some impressive uh, ladies and gentlemen there. That feels there really, really
0: nice. were. There really were. But I think it speaks a lot to your perspective on life, your ability to walk into a conference like that, and get to know who's in the room and try to figure out what do they need to hear from you um obviously you're an amazing communicator but i think it goes deeper than that i think you're you're an amazing um is understander a word can someone be an understander is that can can, can that be a noun like
2: my giving key says unstanding
0: unstanding really yeah is that true
2: yeah i was in there with uh caitlin and and uh uh, brit
0: we just had Britt on the podcast like two episodes ago that's
2: right she she uh, texted me afterwards and she's like so excited to be on here and, you know, they, when you go in, and they were giving me a tour of the place, and we, we've done work with them. They're a client of ours, and uh, they had a gentleman there who kind of divines, like, a, a word for you. Uh-huh. And he divined. Really? The, uh-huh. And he divined the word uh, firm. Which I'm like, okay. And then uh, understanding. Really? But then he went to go put it on there, and there wasn't enough space in the key to put understanding. So he just no put way. unstanding.
0: Tell me about it. how was that weird? Tell me about this guy cuz she didn't talk about this at all. No, his name's Darnell.
2: Yeah, Darnell is legit. He's a cool guy. And he just like meets people. Did he ask you questions? Was it like a survey, interview? No, he like he like yeah. senses you. Really? Yeah, he kind of puts his hand out and tries to, to like intuit what would wow. be like two words that could define you. So, I like that one of my words is not a real word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I uh I I would kind of agree with him. I I feel like I also think, too, that that's what you do for people, I think. That's what you do. That's certainly what you did for me in a season of my life is you took very little, very small amount of information from me, very (laughs) short answers to a very short list of questions, and somehow I felt like you knew everything about me and everything that I was insecure about and scared of. And So let's just start. Let's do the whole biographical thing. Tell people, help us understand what it is exactly that you do, mostly for a living. You do a lot, and we're going to talk about a lot of that kind of stuff. But. Um, tell us a little about coaching.
2: Yeah, the, the coaching work, is, we're still figuring out how to articulate it in a way that makes sense to people. And I think a story, I said something along the lines of we what we're really good at is uh, holding space for people who are way smarter than us, way more talented than us, way more gifted than us to explore the outer limits of their capabilities. And in that sense, I think that's one of the reasons why you and I got along really well. Well, from the very beginning, is like I could smell your talent instantly, and could could see a lot of the very common behavioral patterns of really really talented people that uh, that that are happening that gets in their way that they don't realize it, and so once you can help someone hold space to explore that in like a safe space, uh, then they then they don't need you anymore because <laughs> then they just rock and roll and it's fun.
0: Yeah, I I said this on stage when I introduced you. I said that story 2016 wouldn't have happened without you. Um, and I think I had a few people be like in the audience, they're like, really? Like that that guy, what did, he, what did he do? They For some reason that stood out to a couple of people. Yeah. And two different people I can think of specifically asked me about that later on. Yeah. One in the hallway and then another one after the conference. Um, and the way I explained it was simply that I was going through a season of life where I thought, I'm just a magician. I'm just supposed to be an illusionist the rest of my life. Who tells stories? Um, and you're you're one of the people that affirmed in me my belief or my lack of belief. How's what? Am, how am I supposed to say that it that I, that I could be more sentence. that I could be more than that? Right? Yeah. That I could be more than just an illusionist, something that I always wanted to be, but just didn't have the courage to just step out and take that kind of risk. Um, and it was coming out of that that coaching season with you, with that feeling empowered, going. So when Ben called me and said, "Hey, would you?" You think you'd be interested in taking over a story? I was like, "Yeah, I would," you know. Yeah. And I, I, wouldn't have said yes to that two months ago.
2: And I, I appreciate hearing that, and it's a thrill, honestly. Like it's a thrill to to be your friend. I, I'm always excited when you come to L.A. and and that's and that's it's been fun. It's been fun to walk alongside you, and I really look both as as friendship and, and as coaching is really like an alongside of profession. And the the thing that makes it easy with folks like you is you. It's not like I put something inside of you. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't like inceptionizing you or anything. <laughs> you, that's, what,
0: that's what magicians do, actually. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> there's no abracadabra. Yeah. There's no how they do that. Uh, it, it's already inside of you. That was there. And you knew it was there. So like instantly we both know there's something inside of you that needs to get out. And for a variety of reasons, it just wasn't. And so all coaching is is holding space, like tilling the soil uh, for that thing to grow and it's fun to see then when the seed comes along like this conference opportunity, the the, the ground was already tilled for you to be like, this makes uh, sense to me. See, what
0: I what I knew was going to happen is happening right now. I was like, I'm going to sit down and try to interview Jason for the podcast, and he's going to spend this whole thing, and he's going to try to make it seem like it's all about me and how awesome he thinks I am. And, uh, I do think that's and true. It's, and what's happening during our coaching is happening right now. I'm like, if it's for some reason, it's really uncomfortable to sit across the table from someone and receive them saying great things about you.
2: Yeah. And you know what that... Do you
0: experience that a lot in coaching or is that just me?
2: I was just working with this uh, CEO of this company, nationwide company out of Denver. And she's amazing. She's a rock star. So smart, young. Um, they have an operating budget of $7 million and she's younger than us. Just like a really, really uh, impressive person in the whole coaching session. I, th- I think at one time I said, it's like you're wearing a rain slicker and, and love is the rain. Like you've really built up some fantastic mechanisms for keeping beautiful things in your life out, Hmm. Uh, and and it came up through her inability. I think I I, I swore at her. I I find swearing to be an indispensable tool (laughs) of the the coaching process. We'll try to keep this PG, but uh, she did something that was really amazing, and I said, "That's like nice work, like way to go." And she did one of those dismissive, uh, "Oh thanks," and I said, Hmm. "You." Like, I was like, come on, and you can bleep that out or whatever. But I was like, I know what you did there. Don't do that. Don't demean yeah. a moment. And she laughed really hard and because um, that's what the context we set up because we, we laugh and we swear. And, uh, <laughs> and it was this beautiful thing. And so now she's, uh, and then before our next call, she's really going to put some time and intentionality and talk to her family and her kids and hmm. um, talk about what's going on inside of her that protects herself from receiving love. Um, and, how, and see how that affects our leadership in our company. Yeah.
0: I think there was some skepticism when people were like, there's, an, there's like a business coach or an executive coach kind of here. What does this have to do with the creative community? We're all artists. We don't need coaches. Maybe speak to that a little bit. Like, because I've heard you talk about how artists and creatives have a tendency to think like, That's not something that we need, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Eric Schmidt, who uh, is the CEO of Google, has this very iconic quote, which is, "Everyone needs a coach. Um, Not everyone can afford a coach like uh, the one that Eric Schmidt has, you know. Um, But everybody needs someone who is not between their ears, holding Mm -hmm. space to for for people to, to discover." what's going on between their ears is producing the life that they want or the art that they want or whatever. It's really difficult to do surgery on yourself, um, hmm. which is what gives coaches job security. You know, so, like, yeah. uh, don't ever hire a coach who doesn't have a coach. You know, so uh, we set up a rhythm. I do my personal rhythm my calendar year where I'm – there are seasons where I'm working with a coach and then not, and then working with a coach and not. And uh, that plays an indispensable role in my own development. And, and, and with artists specifically, I think uh, – Coaching, I mean, honestly, what's coming to mind is coaching, I think, is really uncomfortable for for artists because it's so disruptive to how uh, a lot of artists build their lives. Um, A a lot of art, because art is so aesthetic, um, art is emotional uh, by nature. Like, if you can tell a story that moves somebody, if you can paint something that impacts someone emotionally, if you can write a song that touches somebody, um, you, you, you... artist traffic in emotion which is a very unique profession mm. uh, there aren't very many professions that are like that and consequently emotions become like a dominant part of their lives and in a way that a lot of other people um, don't especially like the idea like most people's jobs demand a degree of uh, denial of self and and uh restraint and you know like the, the the thing that the artist really abhors like the nine to five grind it doesn't matter if you like it you do it anyway you know like kind of that world war ii mm-hmm. work ethic thing that 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 uh a lot of artists fled to the coasts to get away from that midwestern uh culture that frankly like my uncle jim uh mm-hmm. hatch i mean he he fled <laughs> like uh like syrians to another world to nashville uh, to get away from that and um and the interesting thing about that is you in doing so it does protect these emotions that are so vital to your craft but at the same time it unintentionally undermines I think sometimes um, the disciplines that the office guy has that if you had a little bit more of it would take your artistry to a whole other level You know, like things like duty and discipline and sacrifice are not usually in the lexicon of an artist and, and the coaching space really holds a lot of power for that
0: that's really interesting because the first thing that pops into my mind hearing you say that was Casey talking about how he makes a video every single day. Yeah, um, because I, that's the thing that I've heard from his talk repeatedly from other attendees since the conference. You know, when I, when I sit down and talk to people like, hey, what were your highlights? What'd you get out of it? Um, when when we get to Casey Neistat, they're always like the thing that stood out to me is him talking about the discipline required to make a video yep. every single day. Yep. And I guess maybe the reason that I stood out to them is because that's so rare, I guess, in the creative community.
2: Yeah. And this isn't, I don't think very insightful, but the, 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 the difference between the product and the process, you know, a lot of people become seduced by the product and they totally ignore the process. You know, they're going to watch you get up there and, and wow the audience, uh, but what they don't see is the hours and hours and hours of n- having it not work. The hours and hours of failing or whatever, the sweat and the grind that produced that, which I think is why, the uh, the war of art has been. Did I say that right? I don't, mm-hmm. Yeah, that why that book has been so popular is it become it kind of shatters the romance, and, and it offers a new metaphor, one of struggle, to the artistic process, and uh, I think we need m- more communities of art of artists advocating for the struggle and advocating for the sweat and advocating for the discipline where we imagine the day when an artistic community is less impressed with the person who creates effortlessly and more impressed with the person who creates with great struggle um because that's like that's the character piece to the art and probably nowhere i mean honestly you know my, my experience at mosaic and and Irwin and those folks there who are so creative like they have more creativity in one clipped off toenail than I do in my whole body, you know, and, and they, uh, they're the ones really who talked to introduced me to the idea of the seduction of talent and how easy it is to become impressed with people who don't have to work really hard, but are really, really good at what they do. And to say like, don't be impressed by that. Like that, hmm. it doesn't serve their ego. It doesn't serve you. Uh, it doesn't serve their future really to hold space for people to struggle. I'm curious your perspective on this. I, I asked Micah Bornet this question,
0: yeah. uh, when we interviewed him for the podcast and, we're talking about the black community's embrace of, of art and storytelling many times as a way of lamenting or raising their spirits. And yeah. um, that kind of led to a conversation because spirituality is not really the point of this podcast or even the conference that we do. Um, but I think like a lot of conferences run away from that. We just embrace it because I realize I can't put a speaker on stage who does something creative for a living or who is an artist Um, and ask them to keep that part of themselves secret because for so many, like their creative process is immensely spiritual and they can't separate those two things. And I think that's true for a lot of artists, regardless of what worldview or spirituality they embrace. It is, it's, it's very, very spiritual. Yeah. Um, What do you feel like that connection is? What it?
2: well, I mean, I think I would maybe say it's true for everybody. I think the, you know at Mosaic we had core values and one of them was creativity is a natural result of spirituality, hmm. and it's like the, what you create is an ex, and is an expression of your spirituality. Now I have friends who are atheists and secularists and they would be uncomfortable with the word spirituality, uh, so I think they'd be more comfortable with like the word philosophy or worldview. But out of your worldview you create uh, the Cohen Brothers they have, they're same, they're not just storytellers they're preachers. Um, Spielberg is the same way. Uh, Christopher Nolan. Is trying to say something about the world. Uh, P. T. Anderson, like these these brilliant minds, are uh, not just trying to entertain people. They're they're trying to communicate something that they think about nobility or beauty or life. I, I mean, one of the
0: one of America's most notable atheists is Penn Jillette, You know, yeah. and I, there are people that I would say like you can't you can't have an agenda in a in a city like Vegas. It's got to be pure entertainment. And I'm like, he's giving a sermon yeah. the whole show, and he's like, in many ways, I respect so much absolutely. of that. I respect him because he's so convicted by his worldview that he can't do art and separate the two. Yeah. Because I, it actually is born out of that.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's the way art is supposed to be. I think there's there needs to be a moral element to art for it to really be artistic. Uh, and that's a bias that I bring to it. And, and that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with your moral position. But that's why great art creates dialogue. And I think that's the role of art, is to create dialogue, not simply to entertain like a like a michael bay movie and that's why i would really struggle to call michael bay an artist like i don't really know what he's trying to say about the world i think he's trying to make you say wow with explosions um but there's not a lot of gravitas to his to his product and it really is a product it's kind of a bastardization of of uh american cinema not to be too yeah uh, frank about it um, no but you know when there's other artists who will use explosions uh to say something oh, they're embed. In between the explosions I'll, I'll have these moments that'll say something beautiful about what it means to be human or the struggle of humanity or whatever yeah
0: I just for my own curiosity yeah. I'm curious what you would say uh, I just I really want to know your perspective on this what so for someone who comes to a conference like story and there's like why is there why are you talking about things like racism in America or yeah uh, why are people talking about their faith or their spirituality? Like, this is a creative conference where it's supposed to be about storytelling. Like, they don't want to hear that stuff, but I don't know how to produce a conference that's absent of that stuff without forcing some some presenters to be someone that they're not or to not share the piece of themselves that they are. Yeah. What would you say to those people? Um, like, why do they come not wanting that?
2: Do you feel like that happened? Do you feel like at, at story there are people who didn't want to hear about the social justice or the, or the, or the, like some people talked openly about religion or. I don't,
0: um, I, I think it was more of a, like, Hey, if you're going to talk about this stuff, you got to tell people in advance. So it, they're huh. not, we're not blindsided by it. And yeah. I'm like, I don't, I, I can honestly tell you as a conference programmer, as the director of the conference, my intention was to never go, I'm going to, I want to book these four speakers because I know they're going to like, let them have it, yeah. you know? Um, my goal was to create an amazing conference experience that those people leave feeling inspired to do the most creative work they've ever done and tell the most engaging stories they've ever told. And I felt like I I, I chose presenters that would help them do that. Yeah. I just didn't tell those presenters, hey, um, if you are passionate about Black Lives Matter, please keep that part to yourself. Or if you go to church and yeah. you feel like your your Christian faith plays a role in your creative process, I get that, but this isn't the place, so please don't,
2: Yeah. you know. I think, I th- this is maybe not answering the question, but I think people have to be really careful about ideological ghettos. And uh, I think that's happening a lot. Like, you know, people who only watch Fox or people who only watch CNN or people who only, mm-hmm. you know, and, and TED conference is really struggling with this. If you listen to Chris Anderson talk, one of the, you know, they, they've kind of created this utopian, um, this utopian quasi-spiritual kind of secularist, uh, event and there are there are voices missing from that space, and uh, and it's an unfortunate thing, you know. So as a white male, I appreciate when Nicholas brings a conversation around a a point of view that I don't expose myself to very often, and it could be uncomfortable, and that's what I'm paying for. Yeah, you know, that's and where I, the value is, and I think that would be something to encourage folks maybe for next year is to say, hey, um, you know, in our work we say uh, maximum value comes from full participation you know, and, and, and that's actually less relevant in this case. We use the metaphor of a, uh, of like a, like a trainer. Like if you're working with a trainer, I, I have a trainer. If you go to the gym, you work out, you pay them extra money for this guy or this girl to stand over you and yell at you or whatever. And my, my trainer, Joey Galore, who uh, is a fascinating guy, you should find him on Instagram. He's a really, really, he's got his own show on MTV and just a really, really interesting. And he's a friend of mine. And so like I, I did a little bit of coaching for him and he trained me. And uh, when I would show up, to his gym, he would always ask me the same question: "Hey, you want me to go easy on you? You want me to bring it on?" Hmm. And uh, he's expensive, you know. So I'd be like, "I want you to bring it on because I'm not paying you for that's right. I don't want to waste my time. And if if you work out and the next day you're not sore, you're kind of pissed about and, it, you know, because you know that there's more in you. And I think uh, conferences should be like a gym, you know, and less like a less like a, 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 a I don't know, like a chocolate cake where you eat it. it's like mm, so test you know, so tasty, <laughs> so sugary, you know, just." It's amazing. Like it really ought to be a gym where you walk away, and the more sore you are, um, the better it was.
0: Super fascinating, man. It's interesting that you you're coaching so many executives, um, but you understand so much about the creative mindset and the creative soul. Um, And I I love that. And i I want to talk about that a little bit more because I still I think there's a lot of skeptics out there that maybe still aren't connecting those two things in yeah. their minds because we're so guilty of thinking well that's business and that's art. Yeah. Um talk to us about just maybe some of the common common things pitfalls that you see the creative community falling into among those that you coach. Let's uh let's dig into some of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would say all people have the same to this may not be answering the exact question that you're looking for before. Uh but, I told you
0: to make a great politician. You're
2: okay, great. I would <laughs> I would say well, the, I'll tell you the evolution of this answer. The, the the less eloquent answer I was on a flight one time. I sit next to this lady, and she's a corporate lady. And she asked me, uh, what is a leader's greatest challenge? Like, what, the, what did all your clients struggle with? And I said, oh, that's easy. It's cowardice. All my clients are cowards. And she kind of got all ruffled. And she's like, well, I'm not a coward. I'm like, great. Then we would never need to work together. And then it was quiet for the rest of the flight. I was like, okay, maybe that's not the best way of <laughs> that's not the best way of having this conversation. So, 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 now what I say is, every leader, and I mean, I, I mean, every leader, which, and I would, and I use leader and human almost synonymously. So every person has the same two great leadership challenges. Uh, one is they drastically underestimate what they're capable of. Every human being does. And they radically and drastically underestimate what they're capable of. And then the second is like it, especially if you're leading a team or whatever, is I've never met a leader who doesn't drastically underestimate what their teams are capable of. And so what that really gets to is this, like, bullseye of unearthing human potential, unearthing human capacity, unearthing human creativity. And I think it's a misnomer in, like, American nomenclature to confuse creativity with artistry, so I try to twist those apart. Uh, like you can be creative without being an artist, and you can certainly be an artist without being creative. Interesting. Uh, so, I think that's the that's the struggle, and then really holding space for people to so so like artist clients. Then uh, that was you know Harris. I mean that and like first of all like for me too. Like if my coach was talking to me right now, there are belief systems and opinions and attitudes and superstitions that I carry in my life that I don't even know that I have, that are creating a, a truncated or muted. Uh, life for myself and so I would pay a coach to hold space for that to be unearthed and then to begin identifying those and creating new beliefs and new habits and new rhythms and new assumptions that would amplify my life rather than diminish it and artists are the same way you know like they they swim in a sea of beliefs that they do that they do not see and part of the artistic struggle is battling something that you don't even know is there. It's these imaginary, invisible dragons in our lives. And and we sense that when we, anytime an artist, you know, goes to a conference and sees an amazing person say something like, I get up every morning and make a YouTube video, and they're like, I'm going to do that. And then they go home and maybe they do it for like a week. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like the New Year's resolution mm-hmm. style of leadership. And... There's a reason why that doesn't work, is because resolutions exist in an ecosystem of beliefs, and unless you change the ecosystem, the resolution won't survive. You know, it's like trying to plant a fern in the desert; like it's just not going to work. You got to find the right ecosystem for it. Uh, the problem is, is we don't understand our own ecosystems because it, it's we're swimming in the water. You know, where it's, it's the air we breathe. Yeah, and, and so you need people to, to help with that. Does that answer? I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it man. does. I, oh, yeah. I just
0: listen to you talk. I'm like, where do you learn all this stuff? It's yeah. so fascinating. Like, where? how did you become a coach?
2: I, um, You know, I've been, the, the honest answer is I've been doing this my whole life, ever since I was old enough for people to listen to me. So I remember being 10 years old, uh, hanging out with my parents, my parents' friends, and asking my parents' friends questions that made them think, and, oh, what a pre- precocious little son you have? And then I would go play with my Ninja Turtles or whatever. (laughs) Uh, and I didn't realize until decades later that that was a lucrative profession, you know? (laughs) So then, then I was a pastor and pastoring and coaching. I I would give anything to go back in time and have the coaching skills that I have now back when I was a pastor, it would be a radically different game. I would have been so much more effective. Wow. Yeah. I would have, and I would have made it like effective as in like, I would have impacted lives in a lot more profound way. Sure. Um, so that would have been fun. And then, you know, I transitioned off of paid staff at Mosaic and started a company that kind of did, like, coaching stuff. So it was almost like this, this like, tuning fork of me searching for the most potent conversations you can have with people and groups of people. And then uh, I discovered uh, through the co-founder of, of my company, and he's my best friend, and uh, his mentor, a guy named Dan Dikini, this, this conversation that's happening all over the world uh, around phenomenology and transformational uh, leadership and how profoundly biblical it is, which was a value for me at the time as a former pastor. And, and yet at the same time, you can take it into any space. You can take it into Starbucks or um, uh, Nike or whatever, but you can also take it into uh, faith communities. And that so things that are palatable like that really fascinate me because I want to be palatable like that. And I want to be able to go into any space and, and have a relevant conversation and just fell in love with it. I saw the difference that it made in my life and the life of uh, my family and my my sister and her husband, and my nephews, and the life, and the way it changed my relationship with my parents, and and the way it, it impacted my finances, and uh, it's, it's it's impacted every part. Of, probably next to my spirituality, this type of work has had the biggest impact in my life in a positive way. And, and you don't let something go like that. Like I have other dreams and other things I want to do. Sure. Um, but you don't let go of a good thing when you find it. What are some of those other dreams? Yeah. So there's there's three. Big buckets to my—is this interesting? I feel like this is now just talking about. That's great. Um, I feel like there's three buckets to my life. You know, this is what most
0: guests do on a podcast, right? Is it? Like they actually spend time talking not about the person who's interviewing, (laughs) like you usually do. I thought. Well, okay,
2: (laughs) all right. I just thought that uh, you know, it's uh, so um, to to whoever cares out there. uh, (laughs) There's, there's. I organize my life into three buckets, and I have like uh, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual, uh, five-year, ten-year.
0: Dude, I'm intrigued already. Of course this is interesting. Uh, yes. uh, goals.
2: And, and I'm, I'm, as I'm answering the question, I'm thinking, how can I like tell people how I set this up that might be resourceful to them?
0: Sure.
2: Um, and and I keep those in front of me. So every week I check in with how that's aligning and uh, to keep the potent things in front of me because it's easy for me to get distracted or whatever. And uh, so so bucket number one is Novus Global, and that's the executive coaching firm. That's where I do a lot of my speaking and the one-on-one and trainings when we work with companies. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love doing that. And, um, that provides a degree of financial cover and the more the company grows, the more financial cover that has. And, and I, to the point where hopefully in a few years I can have like, now I cap myself at 12 clients. Um, but in a few years I can cap myself at three and still make the same amount of money that I would have at 12 now. Sure. Which is wonderful. So it's not like scalable income, um, but it's close, less time, more, sure. more resources. Uh, and I love doing that. And now we're, we're working with more coaches now. So by the end of 2017, we should have 12 coaches in the firm. We've got four right now. And that really excites me. And I really like building into younger coaches and um, sure. sort of, or, of men- mentoring them. Oh, yeah, which is really, really fun. So there's that. Uh, then the second piece is uh, media. So a short film that I executive produced it was just in a, a small little film festival in Seattle. I've done some writing producing for, for Funny or Die, which I really enjoy. Um, but I don't think I'm a writer necessarily. I just directed a short that we're in post-production now for. Um, and I, I enjoy that. I like rolling my sleeves up and getting in it. But I, what I really, what I'm discovering is I really enjoy, uh, and this ties back to the coaching work, I just really enjoy working with people uh, who are more talented than me. Like when I was when I was in college, I was in a band. There were two bands in our college, one led by me and one led by my best friend at the time, Chris McLaughlin. And we organized our bands really distinctly and I never realized it until I got to be around someone who's different than me. So Chris would pick like JV musicians, but he could get varsity performance out of them. Hmm. He would tell them exactly what to do and they would do it. And he would get a sound from them collectively that no one else could ever get. And I, had, I really admired that. Uh, I can't do that. I would pick all the, I would go into like neighboring universities and find the best possible musicians I could find. And I'd say, you just do your thing. And when magic happens, we'll capture it. And I'll say, keep doing that. And we would come in and, and we would create new arrangements, songs, we do covers or whatever. And uh, it would be, we'd create something totally new and fresh. And, uh, and I, I think that's when I began to see what what really makes me get excited. You know, so I in the film world, in the storytelling world, I really like... Uh, working with people more talented than me, so like we wrote, I wrote this thing for Funny or Die. It was a parody of The Newsroom, and it did really, really well. Yeah, it was great. Uh, thanks. And That's one, probably my favorite thing I've written so far. And in that process, I brought in a guy named Vince Michelli, who's a very talented director here in LA. In fact, his feature just, uh, his feature film just came out. His first feature came out on iTunes and on demand. It's called Fear Inc. Uh, and it was written by a guy named Luke Barnett. And they met because I brought them together to do this funnier die thing. Luke's a very very funny writer and I knew that my thing was okay but it needed to be punched up a little bit and Vince is a very talented director editor and we made this thing that looks like it cost $10,000 to make we made it for like $200 in craft services. Love it. Uh, which is amazing and uh, that w- that's fun. And both those guys are way more talented than I am. But what I'm good at is seeing talented people and then putting them in a room together pitching an idea that's horrible watching them make it better and stirring the pot. And now that I have some resources available, and I and I, you know I work with executives who usually when executives get rich and bored they want to do something creative, <laughs> you know. And so now I have uh, trust and access to people who are looking for other ways, creative ways of using their discretionary sure. resources. I can say, hey, I know these guys; they have a great film idea. I would love to partner that kind of thing. Yeah. So so now the goal with that is uh, to create a media platform. And I don't want to talk too much about it because it's pretty embryonic right now. Um, but that's that's the goal like in the next five to ten years is that I want to create a media platform that produces Emmy and Academy award-winning content, just like I want Novus Global to be the best executive coaching firm sure. in the world. And then there's the last part, um, which is my spirituality plays a really big part of my life. And uh I love I love spiritual communities. I love them. I worked at one if I was an atheist, I would love spiritual communities. I have a lot of friends who are atheist and agnostic. I sound, I sound like Donald Trump when I say that. I have a lot of friends, Michael, <laughs> you know. You know, uh, Warren Buffett loves me. That kind you of thing. should have seen Jason's lips just now <laughs> as he was saying that the way that you're a person. You China. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I have some. I have friends who are agnostic and, and like have found um, faith spaces to be irrelevant to them, and yet they lament that there aren't spaces for them. Uh, they 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 want community. They want a space to teach their children virtue and. School systems don't do that, uh, and for the last couple thousand years, there's been this weird concoction called the church that has provided that function, and um, I I want faith communities, usually faith communities are pretty poorly led, and I want faith communities to have the best leaders in the world, um, and so some friends of mine, we've got some, a pretty eclectic group of people that we're working with, uh, one guy who works at Hyperloop, are you familiar with Hyperloop? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Elon Musk's, uh, yeah. funded, uh, 800 sure. mile subway thing. Yep. So we got a guy from there and a couple of business people who are, um, on a mission kind of oceans 11 style to, to find the best leaders in the world and say, Hey, you don't have to quit your job, but you're spiritually bored and you're not going to fix that by volunteering for the kids ministry at your church. Yeah. Uh, you're designed to lead a spiritual community and we think there's a thousand leaders out there who could create spiritual communities of a thousand or more without them quitting their full-time jobs. So we're gonna go we're gonna go find out if we're right. Wow. And so those are like the three Those are amazing, man. Three spaces. Is there a goal on your list that scares you to death. Um no, which means I probably am dreaming too small. Hmm. Uh the I will say this. A lot of people will tell you you gotta pick a lane. And I think that's true for, for most I think some people will be their best self in one lane. I think there are other people who are designed uh, and, and I don't know if they're more rare I don't know other people won't be their best selves unless they run in multiple lanes and I I hope I'm the second one I don't we'll find out and I've seen other leaders older than me try to run in multiple lanes and do it really poorly uh, so I'm learning from there and I'm thankful for them in, in my life and I can hopefully learn from their mistakes and, and do it better it's a different kind of so like to be honest uh, I don't know if this is interesting or not but uh, you can't start three companies at the same time. You can't start, a, you know, an executive coaching firm, a media company, and a, a church planting network all at the same time and have it go well. I mean, uh, at least not that I could think. And I think that's what most people they say you have to run in one lane. So really, what, I'm not looking to start three companies. I'm looking for people to start three companies. I'm looking for quarterbacks hmm. for each of those companies, and then my job is to resource them or provide coaching or to serve them or whatever. I think I think it can serve three teams. Uh, but I can't be the quarterback for all three. So that's how I justify the the process, and, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it's super insightful.
0: Earlier on, you said that you separate artistry and creativity. Yeah. You feel like art and being creative are sometimes two separate things. Um, does that mean that the word creative as a noun, does that bug you at all? No, Is I it, love the word it's creative. It's something that keeps coming up in conversations yeah. as we talk to different people. It's like... A lot of people really don't like that word because it says, oh, a creative is someone who is in filmmaking or photography or writing. And yeah. it's not a second grade school teacher or a stay at home mom or.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the misnomer, I think. I think that's why I choose to separate it from artistry, uh, because creativity is how you raise a family. Like I watched my sister raise my two nephews and she's unbelievably creative. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. Like, I mean, that mm-hmm. in a, she's a she's a world class educator. In fact, she she is a world class educator. And she chooses to homeschool my nephews because we live in the you know education ghetto of the world, which is Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, so uh, it works out. Luckily, my nephews have a world class educator in the home that they can compensate for that. Not every family is so lucky. Um, but she's she's a Picasso. You know, she was is a really fascinating person. And I would say she's underutilizing. She, I think, she'd be okay with me saying that she's underutilizing her gifts because she's only giving it to two kids when she could be giving it to two thousand. Mm. You know. Um, So I don't, and I don't want to implant vision. And that's where I can get in trouble sometimes. I'll like say, well, you should be doing this. And like, I don't really know what the hell they should be doing. Maybe there's something (laughs) else they should be doing. What I do know is she's capable of doing that. Uh, Whether she has to do it or not is a whole other thing. Hmm. Um, But I, and I think, I think that's where, I think the word creativity gets a bad rap. You know, I think Steve Jobs is unbelievably creative, whether he was, he's probably a bad example because he was an artist in a lot of ways as well. Um, Bill Gates is not an artist at all. And he's unbelievably creative. Um, Mark Zuckerberg's not an artist he you know he doesn't know a lot about design, but he is unbelievably creative
0: yeah I think it's I think the 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 conversations that I get a sense that are going around a lot are what we do with the word creative as a label for a person oh. like oh they're a creative oh yeah um, i'm I'm starting to sense a lot of discontentment with that word,
2: yeah, um and, you know words have shelf lives, you know, like you watch it's uh, almost like it's, this is a crass example but it's like the law of diminishing returns and that shows uh, the crass example i was going to use is pornography you know like people start like at an entry level and then it stops satisfying and then they got to keep going more and more and more mm-hmm. and more and more and because your brain adapts like the same hit that it gave you a week ago won't give you a week from now and and language is the same way you know so which is which is why like uh, you listen to leaders who are like 10, 15 years older than us. They talk differently than us because they have their favorite words that they learned in the 80s. And then for us, those are burnt matches. You know, like you can't like that again. It's a done, I don't like that word. It's well, like
0: Everyone here on the West Coast uses the word rad. Do we? Yeah, and it's like made its way to Nashville, <laughs> and it still sounds rad if you say the word rad. Oh wow! But now there's like enough people saying it that I'm just like, man, there's a lot of people say. Describing this is everything happening is rad. And I guess yeah. in that
2: sense, language is cyclical. Like that's a you know regurgitated word from like the early '80s, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like creative, like language migrates, and it's interesting to see. Creativity was a huge buzzword, like like what ten years ago, probably, maybe fifteen years ago like if you were using the word creative and talking about creativity you were progressive and now it's becoming mainstream like the progressives were successful and <laughs> now we got to find some other word to yeah. use yeah
0: I just you know as a, as a leader of a creative community um, I want to be careful to not offend those that are outside of that creative community by saying um, oh I serve creatives you yeah. know and I would I would certainly say that yes my all, all of my examples of you know, the people in our culture who aren't artists. Um, they're immensely creative. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that the, the world would label them as a creative.
2: Yeah. Um, but well, how cool to be if one of Story's uh, missions was to remind humanity of the creative spirit, you know, where anybody could come and they come to be reminded, you know, and I'm not, I don't think I'm I'm doing a little bit of a riff on Ken Robinson's Ted talk on how schools create, kill Mm -hmm. creativity, which Mm -hmm. he was doing a riff on. Was it, was it Shakespeare? No. And then Shakespeare is probably doing a riff on some other right. guy that
0: before the printing press. Was yeah, like, <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, like we're all, no, Picasso, we're all born creative. The yeah. trick is to remain creative as you grow old. Yeah. And I, and I like that. And that's what I and I do think art does that. You yeah. know, art reminds people of their creativity, but it doesn't mean that they're the same thing.
0: Well, that's why I care about using the right words, I think, is is that idea. That's something I would love to aspire to. And it happened this year. You know, at, at yeah. that 2016 conference, there were... There were people in the room who brought entire groups from the organization who would not be considered, you know, members of the creative
2: class. Yeah. I hear
0: that phrase. Yeah. Richard Florida. Yeah. um, Or um, they're not in creative industries and they're not in the arts. Um, They run it like a nonprofit pregnancy center or Mm -hmm. something like that. And, but they value the idea and a lot of them have already like registered again for next year. And That's so they awesome. see the value in that creative inspiration, how it applies to what they're doing. But yeah, I think words matter. and yeah. I don't want to use the right words. And
2: yeah, I, I say keep creative for a while at least. And, <laughs> and even to say this may be not that insightful, but I don't think a human being can be successful without being creative. You know, like see, so because c- creativity is about generating new connections, you know, like innovation comes through creativity and you can't, you can't build teams all teams all human all human uh, endeavors atrophy like there's a natural um law diminishment to it and creativity is the spark that keeps reinventing progress you know like i don't really think that you can have progress without creativity it's like a fundamental part of what it means to be a human being yeah can you tell people
0: who aren't at the conference this year what you talked about on stage
2: yeah, it was fun. It was, it was and I was, I, I like you, we're, we're, you, again, you're way more talented than me, but I like being around people who I can kind of see myself in a little bit, like, oh, okay, so like, I'm not alone. And uh, the, the, the day before the conference, you and I were backstage, maybe the, maybe in the morning, I can't remember, we are backstage. You were around when we were rehearsing Danielle's yeah. opener, I think. And you were like, what are you going to talk about? I was like, I don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know yet. And you're like, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. You know, because, like, you, you've you got, like, 10 talks inside of you or more. And you want to feel the room. You want to yeah, feel. totally. So that night, I kind of spent some time in the space. And that night, I, I was in my room. This is the part that you don't see. Like, you, you know, you see the guy on stage doing the thing. What you don't see is the guy in his pajamas at 11 o'clock at night walking around his uh, Airbnb, like, <laughs> practicing lines. And things like that, and um, and so so the what I got excited about for the talk was how most talks around creativity ex- explore the idea of how we can use our imaginations, uh, which is which is good. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, what most people don't talk about is how our imaginations are actually using us. And that's that's what I re- really wanted to explore. Was everyone has an imagination? Everyone's always using their imagination, whether they realize it or not. And most of the time, what your imagination is doing is using you, and you become a vehicle for the beliefs, the, the vision that you may not even realize you have for your life that begins manifesting itself through your actions. And so uh, in, in the coaching work, uh, what we do is we hold space for people to see how their imaginations are using them in ways they don't realize, and in and, and bringing that to light, it, it, it creates an empowered stance where you can begin reverse engineering that and begin using your imagination in a fresh way, in a new way. So we, we talked about, I think we talked about three different ways your imagination uses you to look good, to feel good, and to be right, and, and how that creates a diminished life, and uh, to sort of explore the opposite of that in, in a way of creating an expansive, more generative life. There was four. Where we didn't have I I didn't have enough time. I. I didn't. I chose not to. I, to spend more time on the other three.
0: Maybe this should be about the fourth. Then they can watch the video. Yeah, right. And watch and watch and the get video. Get the other three. What's the fourth? The fourth what, did, what did we
2: miss out on? The fourth one is is my favorite. It's um to be in control. So every every person's imagination is going to yeah, work creating.
0: You're way off. But us creatives don't care about control yeah, at right. all.
2: Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> so so I I give the uh, the analogy about when someone's late to work or like they're late to driving someplace, a date or whatever. Can and we
0: just, Since we're talking to creatives, can we just be, like, late for a deadline? Late for Is a that deadline. Fitting? <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, they have to be driving someplace. <laughs> okay. You know, late for, that's why late for a meeting, right? you know, late for a pitch meeting or okay. something. All right. All, All right, right. So they're driving, and they're, uh, uh, they see, a, like, a, a red light up on the horizon. And every person does the same thing. They're like, come on. Come on. They're, like, talking to the red light. You know, right? Come on. Turn, baby. And then some people, if you're like me, like, don't even push off the accelerator because you have faith (laughs) you know and then at the last second uh the light turns green right and then you careen through the intersection and you're like yeah yes right i totally look what i did (laughs) uh and in that moment you didn't do anything you know like the secret is not real (laughs) you know it's like it doesn't work Mm -hmm. that way You uh, you can't control things on the other side of the planet with your thoughts so uh but we we do create this illusion of control in our lives um, and and one of the things we always say when we do workshops or trainings is we say every second you spend thinking about something outside your control is absolutely a second you're spending abdicating responsibility for something that's inside your control. Mm-hmm. You know, so every second you spend jealous of that other producer or mad that that other artist got the gig or whatever is a second that's wasted. You know, that is completely out, what what other people are doing is completely outside your control. Uh, and you are absolutely abdicating responsibility for your craft, your art, your sweat, your next gig, your next, the next email, the next phone call, the next whatever that's going to push your career forward. And so uh, part, part of it is reclaiming control and realizing how we abdicate it. So that's like maybe the, this, a whole different conversation is taking control for the things that are actually yours to control, uh, which is hard enough. And then the other part of it is uh, getting off of the stuff that that's not in your control like choosing to be vulnerable choosing to step into things and a, a perfect example is your decision to purchase a conference you know because my guess is a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast don't realize you could do that that's <laughs> like there are conferences that exist <laughs> and people own them and yeah. then they it's a brand of the thing and you can actually take yeah. it over and trade hands and so
0: all my all my entrepreneur friends thought I was an idiot because yeah. like why would you invest in a conference like you know there's I, I had multiple friends that were like here's a list of five other things that would make money the first year. If you like, don't, don't do this. If you're going to spend that much money on investing in a business, like don't go into the conference because there's not money in that. And it's like, I just, I'm not trying to sound like the, the hero, but like, gosh, I just, I, I believe in the power of stories. And for me, it just wasn't about the money. I, I didn't make a single penny. No one, I paid a lot of people uh, this year to be a part of story. And I was not one of them. I didn't, <laughs> didn't pay partner. myself and I'm still paying bills out of my own personal income, you know, yeah. to do that. Um, but it's because I believe in the, in the power of that, but yes, you can, you can you buy can a conference that. if you're, and, if you want to lose money. <laughs> and
2: I, I, I think you're okay. Like, and I was one of the people, I, I didn't have any other ideas for you to do, but I was one of the people mm-hmm. who said, when you, when you told me the initial deal, mm-hmm. uh, of story, I was like, don't do that. Like, that's a, that's a bad business deal. Do not do that. And then I think like a month later, you called me like, I did it. <laughs> and I was like, you little, and then you explained it to me and how like the deal had changed. And and I was like, okay, all right, that's good. Um, but, it, but, but you know, that's like, that's a risk. It's yeah. a huge risk and you're stepping massive. into the unknown. It was massive risk. Yeah. And uh, I don't that, think
0: people realize the risk, you know, and uh, and that's okay if they don't realize yeah. it, but like. I mean, it was a bet the farm, like yeah. all the chips on the table. Yeah. This wasn't like disposable income that I'd sitting in the bank. That's just like, ah, oh, let's throw it at that and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, if story failed that first year, it was, it would not have been pretty for my family. No. And, and even though I didn't make a single penny for myself as profit, I was willing to invest all that back into what I feel like is rebirthing this idea and to building it into something
2: that's really amazing. Yeah. For years. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's really become this amazing thing. And, and uh this this the moral of the story isn't to, like for everyone to go by a conference um, but Harris uh stepped into a space where he had to the only way to do it was open handed you can't white knuckle there were so many variables you couldn't control hmm. and so you stepped into a space where you were like out of control uh, and i don 't mean that like in a chaos way sure like by stepping beyond yourself you, you grabbed onto something bigger than yourself. And that's a macro space, and you can make it smaller. It's it's every time, uh, with consent, that you know a gentleman leans in for the first kiss, right? I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, hmm. even if you think you know what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen, and that's where we feel alive. It's in those moments of uh you know, repelling. Yeah. You got to trust the ropes. Yeah,
0: I'm curious what your favorite book is. I've been dying to ask you that.
2: I'm reading a book right now. Uh, I think it's the most important leadership book in the last 20 years and it's called an everyone culture and it is it is so so insightful and essentially it's more about organizational leadership but Mm -hmm. i think it's just as relevant for individuals frankly i think if you're like a guy uh or girl who's like doing your thing in your room uh as an artist no judgment that's a great place to start but this book probably won't be that relevant for you But if you're leading teams, uh, even if you have like a family and they're in some sort of network of relationship with other artists or or whoever, uh, it's a really, really fascinating book. And it does a case study. It's written by a guy who's a Harvard professor of education. And uh, it does a case study on um, Bridgewater, which is the most successful wealth fund management company in the history of the world. Not only did they predict the uh, financial crisis of 2008, but they uh, thrived through it. Mm -hmm. Not like the big short, like they did it in ethical ways, but... Uh, is really interesting. And Ray Dalio is the CEO of that company and he is uh, wicked, wicked smart. And then they uh, another company called a software company, uh, which whose name is leaving me right now, and another company called I think Dracurion, which owns the Arclight Theaters. So if you're familiar with Los mm-hmm. Angeles, like the Arclight in sure. uh, Hollywood is one of the most famous theaters in the country and it's the company that owns them. Wow. And their their argument is work is the best context for personal growth. And if you can make... If, if you as an employer, as a manager can create a culture where everyone has two jobs, one is the job you're paying them for, but the other job they have is to grow as a human being. If you can create that kind of culture, your company will beat any other company 10 out of 10 times every day of the week, twice on Sundays, uh, which is a really fascinating idea. And then they, they do these case studies and pull these practical things from these leaders who are doing this. And it's really, really interesting.
0: What would you say to the creative who says, or is maybe even thinking right now, leadership? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't need to know anything about leadership.
2: Yeah, um, I'll give you the honest answer, sure. like, not filter, because it's almost midnight here in, in, in Beverly Hills, and, and we're both tired. You get, Harris is struggling to keep his eyes open. That's he, not true he, at all. He, this is awesome. No, you're good. Uh, um, I think, I think uh, for any human being to not look at themselves as a leader is immoral. I think it's an abdication of what it means to be a human being. Um, in the same, more dramatic, but in the same vein of like choosing not to vote. Hmm. I think it's like an abdication of your democratic responsibility as an American citizen. And I think that part of having skin and having breath and a heartbeat and a pulse and a mind uh, is to, to be a steward of that. And you can't do that without leading. So, what's
0: the What's the book that you've gifted the most?
2: That I've gifted the most? And in the other room here, I've got about fifteen of Ed Catmull's um, book. uh, Creativity. Yeah, that that I had him sign. Oh, nice. Uh, So I got like a yeah. So um, I like giving that book away. Um, Three Laws of Performance uh, is is like a it's kind of a standard for our work. Kind of introduces people to the ins and outs of our work to phenomenology, which is what Dr. King got his doctorate dissertation in. Uh, It's a really fascinating leadership paradigm. Which, I, which is why I think Dr. King was, uh, as successful as he was advocating civil rights. Not, not coincidentally actually helped. There's a guy named, uh, Dr. Goody Goodlow, who I don't know. Have you met him yet? No. Uh, he's one of my favorite people and we were pastors at Mosaic together and he's like, uh, born to a single, you know, single mom in Compton, uh, played division one football at Arizona state and, uh, has a PhD like, like a regal guy. And, uh, I helped him write a book about, based on his doctorate dissertation, but I got to help him write a book on how Dr. King worked with artists and entertainers in a way that no one had ever done before to, add, to advance civil rights. Wow. And it is that book's called Kingmakers, and I highly recommend that. It's fun. It's a, it's a spiritual book, so it's got some some overt religious overtones to it. which If your audience doesn't like that, it's okay. But, uh, but can I tell a story from it? Of course. So this is like, hanging out with, with Goody is like... Hanging he knows all the news anchors' names. You know, like one time, him and I were at this event in Florida, and uh, I'm ready to go, and he's getting ready to go. He's speaking, and, and we're watching CNN or whatever, and he can, he knows the people's names by their voices. Like he's just very, like very dialed into news. And uh, there's a story about uh, like the I Have a Dream speech. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know uh, that Dr. King had given that speech uh, multiple times before, uh, and it didn't work. He had given it in Chicago, I think. He'd given it in I think North Carolina in the gymnasium and his speech writers didn't like it interesting because it, it just didn't fly the way that they wanted it to so the one request before he got out there was don't do the the dream thing it, it doesn't work and so king gets up and you can watch the the speech and he he's doing his thing and it's not going well i mean his speech is good but it's not it's not killing the way that he wanted it to kill sure and uh mahala jackson i think i'm saying her name right i always mispronounce her name she's uh they were good friends and a uh, very gifted singer. You know, he would call her, and uh, he would come over sometimes and sing her, and she would sing him to sleep when he was really stressed and when people were, like, threatening his life and stuff. And she's behind him when he's giving the speech, and she goes, tell him about the dream, Martin. And he kind of, like, ignores her, you know, and he keeps going, and then she says it again. Tell him about the dream, Martin. And you see King put his notes down, and he, and he shifts in his seat, and he downshifts into I, I have a, a dream, speech and uh and the audience are the script the writers uh of his his speech writers and they said one of them goes oh shit and the other one goes we're about to have some church and of course you know king opens up a a can of uh oratorical whoop-ass and the rest is history but uh, i like that story most people don't know that story and that's the story that's in the book and in, in the context of how many times do we have this thing that we've used before and it doesn't work and so we're, we discard it kind of this obsession with finding the new talk the new material the new thing and really there's you got something you got, as an artist you've got some some idea some thought something in the closet that you thought didn't have any legs to it and you need a friend to say tell him about the dream art and then take it out again and see if it could fly
0: yeah, that's so good not a nice story yeah. that's an amazing story yeah
2: yeah I li- and that's just that's like the, of all the stories in the book that's the most innocuous one but they're all stories i'd never heard before about dr king and his work with artists and entertainers and that book is called again kingmaker kingmaker yeah dude i got to check that one out Isn't that i'm fun? intrigued yeah. yeah the stories itself are worth the read yeah yeah
0: my last question for you what uh what do you do when you're feeling stuck but you need some creative inspiration
2: <laughs> i have such a let's see when when i do when i'm feeling stuck and i need inspiration other than hire a coach <laughs> I, I know that sounds like such a salesy answer, but
0: I mean it. Do, I mean it does because most people say I go to a museum or I watch a film or I read a book.
2: <laughs> no, you hire a coach. I uh, honestly, for, yeah, when I feel stuck, I, I don't know very many people that can reflect themselves into action.
0: I I think the reason. So, like when you say that, yeah, you know, my initial my initial thought is. The reason why it sounds like not the correct answer is because that's not what a creative person would do. <laughs> yeah. That's what it, maybe a business leader would do when yeah. they can't figure out what the next step on how to grow their company is. Um, but in reality, I think the reason you answer that way because you are a creative person. I think that's what a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times I I even forget. I am guilty of forgetting until you post like, "Hey, just wrote another short film," and yeah. I see something on Instagram. I click through and I'm like, "Dang, he's good! Like, he's a he's an artist." Uh, yeah. But I, because I know you as a coach. Because that's, that's how I've been most impacted by your gifts personally. Yeah. Um, and so I forget about the other part of you. But I think that you're saying that because you would also say that to the face of an artist. Yeah. If they're saying, like, I'm staring at blank canvas, I don't know what to paint. Or I'm staring at a blank page, I don't
2: know what to write. Yeah. You would still say to them. Hire a coach. Hire a coach. Why? Uh c- and, and I can get out of the higher part. You know, I think you and I were talking about that. Like there's lots of ways to mimic sure. the coaching space. So it's not about a financial transaction. Maybe it's a friend. Right. Yeah. Like I, what I would say is, um, surround yourself with people in your life who hold powerful conversational space for you. Uh, and that, and coaches, that's what we get paid to do. You know, like we get paid, we get paid to be more honest with you than anyone else in your life. You know, we get paid to, if you're like, cause we, a lot, most of the coaching work is around integrity, it, you know, and there's a deep connection between creativity and integrity. If When people do what they say they're going to do, you know, that's when you, what's well, Casey, right? He, he's committed to creating a YouTube video every day. So he does that in that, in that very specific vein. He has creative or he has integrity. And that integrity is the fount from which his creativity flows. The problem is, is a lot of artists don't have integrity. They say they're going to do something and they don't or they're more committed to perfectionism than to creativity so they can't paint because they're afraid of what if i what if i make the wrong stroke and it sucks what if i play the wrong note and it's no good and the the coach or the, the person who cares about you and your your creative integrity will say it's not about how good it is it's about you being faithful to the creative process so write your song paint your thing you know do your do your work and it's through that that your character is molded and then eventually you'll hit the thing that's going to be whatever it is you were supposed to make in the first place most people just cheat the process and coaches are designed to do that as it, 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 its core coaching is about talent excavation and uh and, and friends can do that too i've got a standing meeting uh every monday morning it's 30 minutes long uh rarely miss it unless i'm like out of town or something and uh, it's with two other coaches and we get clear on what are the bold commitments we're up to this week and what's driving? And I've got my three buckets: my coaching and uh, the media company, and the uh, and the church planting network. And I've got those in front of me. And what what tasks are going to move those three things forward this week? And I dial in, you know. And then the rest of the week, I don't have to think about it. It's not like, ah, oh, what do I do now? It's like I found out what I was going to do on Monday. Now it's just execution. Now it's not a conversation around clarity. It's a conversation around courage. And that's that's the gift of those types of people. In your life, and again, you can you can cultivate those. In fact, you know, f- find your find the wealthiest friend you have, and get them to hire a coach, and then tell them to teach you everything they, they're learning, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> save some save some money or whatever. Uh, but that's what I'd recommend. Yeah, maybe maybe one way of saying it is, uh, great art isn't produced not because there aren't great artists, but because there's not great community, and great community will necessarily produce great art. If you study where art comes from. It, uh, it never comes from individuals. It always exists in a broader relational ecosystem of people like you know, Pixar's the Brain Trust, Where Ed Catmull, John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, those guys, the Pete Doctor, uh, Brad Bird came in a little bit later, but like, those fellas uh, can't do what they do without each other, and you can create your own squad. Just don't create a squad full of people who also become co-conspirators and you're not doing your work, which is usually what tends to happen. Uh, so you know find people in your life who inspire you challenge you even you're jealous of that'll motivate you to get out of bed get off your ass and and, and do your trade dude so good Does that work
0: yeah all I right would, uh i could talk to you for hours but pretty sure you just that's the pot where you you drop the mic drop the mic so, yeah thanks for doing this harris i love you buddy i love you too man
2: and i hope that uh i can't wait to see what happens next me either. The tension of maybe. Right. we we'll see how it goes. Let's do it.
0: I think everyone might be beginning to understand why I love Jason Jagger so much.
1: <laughs>
0: Such an amazing person.
1: Yeah. Seriously. So much
0: wisdom. Uh, I, I love the part where he was talking about... Um, how like when he's coaching people, one of the things that happens most often is they are emotionally disrupted, which for someone like an executive of a company who's very analytical and just operates out of that one side of their brain, that's totally fine because they realize they need that. Mm -hmm. Artists and creatives don't like that very much, do we? The emotional disruption, because everything that we're creating and all the stories that we're telling are flowing out of those feelings. Mostly like we're constantly trying to tap in deep to our souls and pull that stuff out. Right. So for someone who's like makes, makes us emotionally uncomfortable sometimes <laughs> for the sake of progress and moving forward, we're like, we don't. it, it could be
1: a little scary. it
0: could be a little scary, yeah. but yeah, Jason has an ability to navigate you through that process so well that as scary as it is and as uncomfortable as it can be, you realize the potential that comes from dealing with it. And so you keep going back to him over and over and over again. Totally. I just love him. I love that conversation.
1: Me too. I think I'm walking away, um, thinking about, um, Jason's advice on, uh, community and mm. talking about create community will produce great art. And, um, great art always comes from a broader ecosystem than just an individual. It takes a village like to come up with a great idea and, um, and how important it is to find people who will challenge you and speak the truth. And so I would love to find people like that, but I feel like the first step for me before I try to find people like that is be that for other people. So Mm. I'm asking myself, how can I create space for people in my life who are pursuing Creative endeavors that I haven't given space to, or listened to, or asked questions yet. Um, yeah, it's kind of convicting, but I think that's the only way to move forward.
0: It has been for me too. I, uh, honestly, it's it's what leading one of the most important lessons so far. Even though I'm early on into leading this community, uh, it's one of the things the stories taught me. Because if you think about my life before taking over story. Uh, I was just this like solo entertainer. It's like I traveled around the world doing my own show. Um, I didn't really have to lead a team. I didn't really have to be in community with other people. Magicians are pretty secretive people, (laughs) right? And so to keep your secrets, it's like I didn't really spend time with a lot of other magicians because I didn't feel like that was good for my creativity for some reason. Um, It just didn't work well for me. It's hard to, it's sometimes difficult to collaborate with other magicians when it's all about the secrets. It's not like a lot of other art forms.
1: That makes sense in a weird way, yeah. It's
0: not really true, but I think that's the lie that I told myself. And so I thought I'm just gonna protect everything by just not letting other people get close to me. I think what you find is this this unwise situation of isolation Mm. where you're not collaborating, you're not in community with other people, and then you come into this position of leading story. You can't lead a movement like this by yourself, it takes a huge amount of collaboration. And now it's like, instead of working, you know, holding up in a home office every day, it's like you're in office space. You're surrounded by the energy and the buzz of all these people that are working around you and this big team. And I'm not a huge team. We have a little small team, but to me it feels huge it's because multiplied. yeah, it's multiplied <laughs> from, person, went from just yeah. one person and doing these podcasts every single week. So much work. It goes in to these, uh, to from recording it and someone editing it No, not that we like edit and like slice up the, the recording and stuff. I I think think everyone knows People can tell we just hit record, (laughs) (laughs) but someone's got to like throw in some little music and make it flow well. And upload uh, it, all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. It's just, yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, I couldn't agree with him more. It's something that I, I also need to get way, way better at, but you know, what's cool about it is once you taste community, like it makes you not want to go back to isolation anymore.
1: Absolutely. So
0: now that I'm experiencing like glimpses of community by collaborating and working with a team, like I don't want to go back to the life where I'm just that, you know, depressed artist in the corner of a dark room at my house.
1: Totally. You know, totally. The one man show. I think that's something that I've been missing, too, in my like personal writing process. Um, I, like, I think we said last episode, we were talking about, I was an English major, so I had lots of peer reviews on my writing all the time. I don't really have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the reason why I haven't searched for it is because I feel like I'm almost embarrassed, like giving it to other people being like, I ho- like, I don't feel very confident about it, but I feel like the only way I can get confident is like to have like affirmation or someone's like other interest to be like yeah i hear this i see where this is coming from let me offer you some help or like huh. some advice to make it better together because that's the only way my writing has grown in the past as like having reviews from other people
0: yeah so good well let's get better at it together high five. and i th- yeah high <laughs> five we just did an air high five you guys missed it it was pretty awesome so if you want to learn more his website has got a couple of websites, right? There is jasonjagger.com, which is his personal website, uh, but his coaching uh, website is amazing, and that's his company, which is called Novus Global. And now they have all these fancy domain extensions. It's not just .com anymore. <laughs> um, although you've always lived in that world. I'm old enough. Uh, I've got quite a few years on you. So. Yeah. When yeah. I grew up, it was just .com or .org Mine's or .gov. Dot <laughs> and now it's like dot. Gazillions of things, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's actually novus.global because you can buy a dot global website now. So novus.global. Novus is spelled N-O-V-U-S. So check out novus.global to learn more about Jason's company and reach out to him. I promise. He can uh, he can dramatically Shift some of your perspectives as an artist, a creator, and a storyteller. Be sure to give him a shout out online. Tell him you enjoyed this podcast interview. Uh, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram, both at J Jaggard, J A G G A R D, Jaggard. These people have cool names. They do, yeah. I need a cooler name.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about, <laughs> Harris the Third?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so confusing. So confusing. <laughs> thank you, Jason, for being a friend of Story, and thank you to all of you guys for listening uh, to this podcast brought to you all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. That's where we're recording. It is. I don't know if everybody knows that or not. We're hanging out in a good old city of Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, The story office. So we appreciate you guys listening. Can't wait to talk to you next week. It's going to be another amazing episode. We'll talk to you then.